this is the, the, the handout says lesson number 32. This is, uh, we're winding down. Um, I'll probably, probably finish 22 tonight and then we'll do some wrap up things next week. I, I looked at the quiz I gave you uh, the, today when, I, when we first started the class last September. And I thought, well, should I give them that again next week? I'm not going to scare you. I'm just, just going to read some things over. If you still have that, many of you probably still do. Uh, don't take that with you because <laughs> you have the right answers on it. Um, but we'll, we'll look at that a little bit next week. Just a reminder, if you do have any questions, uh, please fill out the pink sheet on that. Um, I'm, I'm also going to highlight a few things that really stood out to me in this study and what has helped me. Uh, understand some things. Uh, I'm trying to convey those things, but uh, my challenge for you, and I'll, I'll give you another handout next week on some of the contrast, five major areas of contrast of things we studied uh, from chapter 1 through chapter 22, and talk about that a little bit. But my challenge for you is just because the study is coming to a close, continue to read this book. Continue to read it, to study it, you know, blessed are those who read and keep those things written therein. And so keep on reading it. God's going to give you insight, I believe, as you continue to do that and, uh, and get his mind on some things as well. And so uh, we have one more lesson after tonight. But like, like I said, um, there's going to be, we're going to hopefully cover and finish chapter 22 tonight. Last week, we talked about the New Jerusalem and on your handout, which is tonight's lesson is the bottom part of that we didn't get to. But we talked about three truths about the New Jerusalem. It's a new city. We talked about it in a new setting. God, Jesus is making all things new. Uh, what God began with Adam, he will one day complete through the final Adam. And, and uh, when it comes down to it, uh, God has the last word. He, God is the beginning. God is the end and, and the, everything in between, you might say. But uh, talked about the newness of that. Then it's a big city. We're going to talk more about that tonight. I wanted to find, if I can, here it is. I, I didn't get to this last week. I don't think I did. But in, in 21, verse 16, it says, and I'm not going to read the entire chapter tonight. I read both 21 and 22 last week. I will read 22 tonight. But it says, The city was laid out like a square. As long as it was wide, it measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. Basically, this is a cube, kind of a shape of a city. And uh, talked about its size being roughly 1,500 miles square all the way around. And here, here's the quote. This is from the Complete Biblical Library Commentary. Some suggest that since the form of the cube is the most likely, the size of the New Jerusalem, this is interesting, would give a cubical space, one-third of a mile on each side, to each of 20 billion persons. That's that's Doris is going. Wow, that was my that was my thing, okay? Because it's like, is it going to be big enough to handle everybody? And and I don't know how many people have been saved from you know Old Testament saints, you might say, or, or even New Testament saints, whatever. Uh, but here's the deal: regardless of its shape and size, uh, and no matter how it's going to be arranged, it is certain there will be room for all who need to be there. 
Amen? And so, but yeah, one-third of a mile on each side for 20 billion people. That's ginormous, all right? That's big. And so I, I like that one. I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, but it's going to be a big city, and so we'll talk more about that a little bit tonight. And then it's going to be a beautiful city. We talked about the foundational stones and such last week. And uh, what we're going to look at tonight, I want to get into the... the uh, the characteristics of the New Jerusalem. I want to read, reread chapter 22. It's very short. And uh, I'll just start with verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, so I was telling Pam earlier, evidently there's going to be a fruit of the month club in heaven. <laughs> Don't you think? It's like the fruit every month, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. In other words, for health. Uh, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They, and I love verse 4. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will, not be, or there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. Remember, there was going to be no sun, moon, and stars. We talked about that in chapter 21. Um, they will not need any light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. And the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. They must soon take place. Keep that in mind. Next verse, it's in red. Jesus is speaking. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who re keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. And once again, John knew better, but lost his sense of what was going on at that time once again. And, the, and he said, the angel said to me, do not do it for I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book, worship God. Then he told me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Once again, verse 6, that must soon take place. Verse 7, I am coming soon. Verse 10, the time is near. Verse 11, let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Once again, Jesus speaking says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who, have, who wash their robes. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may, might have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside, are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David the, and, the bright, and the bright and morning star, or the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from the book, from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him the share in the tree of life in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, once again, words are in red, yes, I am coming soon. To which John says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. And so there's chapter 22. We're going to look at then the six characteristics, the six characteristics of living in the New Jerusalem. Uh, so first of all, understand this is going back to chapter 21, but it's going to be a city with no tears or no pain. Aren't you glad for that? All right? He will wipe every tear from their eyes, verse 4 of 21. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, the absence of tears and pain means more to some than to others. Uh, those who live today on planet earth in ease, in comfort, may not think much about heaven on earth, but John's readers, recall, lived in very tough times. They knew what it was like to be persecuted. They were very poor. Uh, they were, they were uh, many of them suffered for the cause of Christ. Uh, some, no doubt, cried as they died for their faith. I mean, the martyrs that are going to be saved during the time this time, um, and, and, and even today, we might cry for people, we might cry for family members or whatever, um, the lost, but tomorrow, uh, our tears are going to be replaced with joy. God's going to turn our mourning into dancing, if you will. And so it's going to be a, a place, a city with no tears or pain, uh, mourning or crying, no more death. And I, for one, am looking forward to that. Think of all the heartache you and I have experienced here and the heartache that we have yet to experience and the loss of loved ones and that kind of thing. No more. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Number two, it is a city with no sickness. Now, Ezekiel, Ezekiel you recall, saw a river that flowed in the millennium. It made the waters of the Dead Sea sweet, Ezekiel 47. But John wrote about a later time as we talked about last week, will there be no more seas? I've been, I've been asking, like, okay, God, why is that? Because I love the ocean, love beaches, love sand, and I think of all the sea creatures and everything else. And the and, uh, uh, only thing I can think of and that kind of came to me is what God has prepared for us, we don't comprehend now, but once we're there, it's not going to be necessary to have the ocean, the sea, or whatever, um, and it's going to be okay. So basically, I, I trust God, and I trust God's way of doing things, even though I might not understand that right now. All right. Um, uh, and so there is that river of life. I, I see that. But uh, anyway, um, there's going to be uh, 
uh, a city with, with no sickness. Um, a river flows through it. Um, John did see that river. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street. We talked about this. Is it going to go through all layers and all levels of this city? I don't know. Um, we don't know that. But it says, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit. Now, in some parts of the world, close to the equator, there are certain trees that can produce two crops a year. Uh, pretty unusual. We're used to one crop. You plant things in the spring. You harvest things in the fall. Uh, that's kind of just the way we do things. But, I, you know, so I, I can't comprehend a, a tree yielding fruit uh, every month, once a month. And, and, and then I thought about it this way. Well, to God, there's no such thing as time as, as we know it. And so, and yet, the month part is mentioned here. And I thought that to be a little unusual. I never thought about that before. I don't know why I thought about that or whatever or what that even means. As I mentioned, fruit of the month club, I don't know what kind of fruit. The, and the other questions I have are, are, is this. Okay, we're going to be eating this fruit, and it's for the healing and health of our bodies. It's good for us. We're not eating. Uh, it's, 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 I don't know what our bodies will need, you know, our new bodies, uh, what they will crave. Uh, does this mean, my question is, does this mean there's no steak? You know, is, you know, there's no beef, there's no meat. You know, I'm, does this mean we're going to be vegans or vegetarians? I don't know. How, do, you, do you ever think about that kind of stuff? And it's like, it doesn't matter because I'm with Jesus. I'm, I'm good, you know. And what he has for me is good. Like, man, what is it? It's good for you, you know. Um, and they complain, we want, we want some meat, you know, whatever. Um, but anyway, uh, no sickness. And then it says, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, basically, you know, I asked this question, why do we need healing if we have a new body? Okay, have you thought about that? Um, but eating from the tree of life month by month emphasizes a couple great truths. First of all, it reminds us to be thankful to God for good health. In other words, we're not going to eat the fruit because we are sick. Rather, we will eat it to remain healthy. Uh, basically, uh, so it reminds us, God, thank you for that. But secondly, it reminds us that we should continue to depend on God for our life and our health. All right, whatever that looks like in heaven. Uh, in Him we live and move and have our being. And so even in eternity, God reminds us that every good gift comes from Him. All right. And so uh, God is our source. The river really reminds us that all we need comes from Him. He is our provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. The river is also symbolic, as most commentaries said, of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who brings God's blessing to us. And so there's all that going on as well. And so, basically, I don't understand it all other than to say what the Word says. There's a river of the water of life. It's clear. It flows from God's throne. It comes down the middle of the street. On each side are these trees that produce fruit. What kind of fruit? Don't know. Um, I'm hoping there's peaches because that's my favorite fruit. All right. Um, anyway, I don't know. I don't know. So we'll go on. Number two, number two so there's a city with no sickness. And then thirdly, it's a city with no darkness or night. 
uh, Revelation 21, 25, on, that, on, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there'll be no night there. If you read Revelation 21, 23, and 24, it says the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is, the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. In other words, whatever glory they had, whatever they can contribute, it's, it all belongs to God. It, get, it goes to God. And then Revelation 22, verse 5, There'll be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. The Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. And so, basically, uh, no darkness. A couple of things to note there about the New Jerusalem. First of all, we know that light conquers darkness. Light conquers darkness. Night is a symbol in the Bible of evil. You know, the deeds of darkness, nighttime, don't, you know, whatever. In John's gospel, there's a big contrast between darkness and light. In the new city, there'll be no fear of the dark or the evil deeds of darkness. There'll be no more thieves. All right, all forms of darkness will be gone. There'll be no sin and no sinners in the new Jerusalem. Therefore, the gates of the city will never be shut. Uh, there'll be no street lights. There'll be no security lights there. You know, no kerosene fumes or electric bills or whatever. It's like, it's, we, how does that work? You know, by faith it does. All right, what the word says. Uh, but night is also a symbol of trials. You know, weeping re may remain for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That idea. And so, first of all, light conquers darkness. Number two, a uh, second thing to note here is that God replaces the sun. Now, for centuries, the sun has given light to the earth. Sometimes, it ha I, I remember one year, I, I was so sunburned, that I sent Jill out, and this is right after a storm, I sent Jill out in our little Subaru Justy little car to get me some lotion because I was itching and screaming and in pain, uh, and it was almost like burning. I got so much, too much sun. And she ends up going through a water that was going over her hood. I don't know how she did it to this day. Um, and when she got back from the store that she got to, because the road was flooding, um, I ended up picking grass and corn cobs out of the radiator in the front and the engine compartment and everything else. Why she didn't get swept up, I don't know, but I remember that was probably the worst sunburn I ever had. That was in Bettendorf, Iowa when I was a children's pastor years, years ago. But uh, a day is coming when the sun's no longer going to beat on people and burn people. I've had four skin cancer surgeries because of too much sun, as a boy growing up, mom can testify to this, I used to go swimming almost every day, and back then didn't bother with suntan oil and lotion and this and that. Matter of fact, when I first moved here in our first pool, this is the greatest thing. I get to swim in a pool, I get to be out in the sun, and I was so tan. I mean, I got a picture of myself and my brother. I am like super tan, and he is as white as white can be. And uh, anyway, but. Uh, um, and, and I, when I was a boy, my, my hair would actually turn kind of like a greenish color from all the chlorine in the pools. I swam so much, got so much sun. Well, then I got four, I got skin cancer, a uh, number of surgeries for that. And so right now, anytime and every time I'm outside gardening, landscaping, or whatever, I have this big 
landscaping hat on, all right? And, and I have two hats here, two hats at the cabin. I just wear hats all the time. Because of that, I don't have to worry about that, all right? Um, and I remember having a dear saint in this church, David Myers, David and Diane, if you remember, if you, I don't know if you remember them or not, you do. Uh, but David one time bought, because I was, I was so tan, and, and, uh, and he says, Brian, Pastor Brian, got to watch yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's also been through skin cancer surgeries and else, and he actually bought me a big old bottle of suntan and lotion and stuff. Uh, but I do have this stuff on hand now and use it when I'm going to be out on my arms and whatever. Um, it's good to protect yourself. He was right. I was wrong. I was young. I was... Um, proud, I guess, and I thought I knew better. But anyway, in the New Jerusalem, there will be no form of darkness. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And so when we move in with Him, we'll move into everlasting light. Um, and so there's no darkness or night, uh, suggesting even with no sun, no moon, no stars, no night, Will our new bodies need sleep? I don't think so. There's no night to sleep in, so I don't think that will be a prerequisite. How does that work? I don't know, all right? But it's going to, just, it's going to be different. And so, uh, once again, as John describes these things, we're not given all the details that, that we might want to have. Um, but I, will, I do say, I will say this, knowing the character of God Everything that God does will be good and perfect. That's who he is. And so everything he does will be good. And, and uh, I kinda, I'm looking forward to, be, to living with him forever and ever and ever. All right. And so I guess no naps are needed and there's no night and whatever. I don't know all that. I don't understand all that, but I will in time. And so will you. All right. So, there's a city with no darkness or night. Four, it's a holy city for holy people. And it says here, I saw the holy city in verse two, uh, verse 2, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. I said this last week, and I'm going to repeat it. The new Jerusalem is already in heaven. It's already prepared. God has that already planned for us. And it says here, um, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed or adorned for her husband. Now, if you think back a little bit, the city of Babylon uh, was like a harlot, the harlot city, Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Uh, her citizens were evil. Uh, in contrast to the New Jerusalem then, the New Jerusalem is, is like a pure bride. Her citizens are holy, or have been set apart. And so it says in Revelation 21, 7 and 8, uh, He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God and he'll be my son. But, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now we also read Revelation 22, 14 and 15, where it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. But outside, now outside being the lake of fire is the implication here, outside 
uh, the gates into the city. Outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And so there's several categories here that John lists of those who will not be in the holy city. Let me just walk you through this a little bit. And this, again, is from the complete biblical library in their notes going back to chapter 21. But in contrast to the overcomers uh, who will share the blessings of life in the eternal state, a list is given of those who will take part in the lake of fire. That is the second death. First of all is the fearful or the cowardly. These are those who are timid because of, of a lack of faith. This will include any who have let the disapproval of th or threats of any person or of society cause them to turn away from Christ and the hope of, of glory. They have been more concerned about their own personal safety than their loyalty to Christ. Uh, they have been quick to compromise the truth. They are not overcomers. They are losers, not winners. And so the fearful, the cowardly, number one. Number two, the second group is the unbelieving, those who treat the gospel and the promises of God as something uh, that's just not for them. The unbelieving, they, these will include those who have never believed, those who have rejected. Maybe they believed at one time but, but are no longer serving God, living for God. Uh, maybe former believers who have backslidden are falling back in the practice of lust of the flesh and the sin, whatever, and uh, they have not overcome, therefore they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then the third group are the abominable, those who are detestable or vile, it says in the NIV, uh, to God, those who arouse His wrath. Uh, both the Old and New Testaments show that to profess a faith in God and continue to practice evil or anything idolatrous is an abomination in the sight of God. And, and once again, those who name the name of Jesus must turn from sin and turn to God. And so uh, uh, the idea of being vile, uh, number three. Number four are the murderers, those who have deliberately, willfully taken human life. Think of all the politicians who have signed off on, approved on abortion. They're murderers at heart. I don't say that lightly, but they are murderers at heart. They have given their stamp of approval for murdering or taking innocent life. They are going to be held in judgment, will be outside of, of God's holy city. Fourth, murders. Number five are the whoremongers, including those who practice any kind of sexual impurity or sexual immorality. Uh, for the record, being very black and white here, uh, a person that is sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God, not Brian Bible. Uh, though, you know, what, it, what is sexual immorality? Uh, I will just say it this way. Any sex outside of marriage being between a man and a woman would be considered sexual immorality. And if you get into the Old Testament part of that as well, even the uncovering the nakedness of is considered sexual immorality. We tend to think today, and I've heard this from young people, well, we just stop short of sexual intercourse. You know, you got naked and everything else, and, 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 but like, no, God, any, anything that, okay, is, uh, is, is of that nature is considered sexual immorality, even the uncovering the nakedness of. 
All right, is there forgiveness for people who have gone that route? Yes, there is. But once again, you know, go, Jesus said, go and sin no more, you know, uh, stop it. Uh, six are the sorcerers, those who use poisons, magic potions, you could include in that, witchcraft, spells, uh, witch doctors, that kind of thing. Uh, the seventh group listed are the idolaters. Basically, a person is practicing idolatry if they're put, placing something in front of God. Anything that's taking God's place is an idol. And then eighth are all liars, especially including all false persons such as false prophets, false apostles, and especially false teachers, Second Peter 2.1 cross-reference. Now, all of the eight classes of people will have their part outside the eternal kingdom of God. Now, I know what people say today. I know what some religions, cults, and churches, and even denominations teach today. And I know what our government has said today regarding some of these things as well. And they say, well, you can be immoral, you can be adulterous, uh, you can be a homosexual, you can practice any of the lusts of the flesh and still get, go to heaven, you know, still be a true child of God. Uh, they suppose that a loving God would not send anyone to hell and basically, I will say they are wrong. They are going against God's word. And anyone that practices, practices these things uh, will, not be, uh, will not be in heaven. All right? Uh, I, I don't know how else to say it other than to say it as plainly as that. All right? Not trying to be mean-spirited. Not trying to be hard-hearted here. Just trying to say, what does, what does God's word say? And this is what it says. And so if there's any question on those things, um, may I suggest you take it up with him. I am, I am not the author of the Bible. I am, I am uh, just simply in sales. I'm not in management. All right? Um, but basically, the, it's, a, it's a holy city for a holy people, uh, a people that are uh, un, uh, living for God and doing things God's way. So there's that group of people. It's a city for those who overcome sin. It's for those who live like saints, not living like sinners. All right? And so we have Revelation twenty-two fourteen. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they might have the right to the tree of life and go through the gates of the city. And then Revelation, once again, 21, verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so, guess what? Jesus' friends are welcome into that city. All right, be a friend of Jesus. Number five, it is a city with perfect fellowship. How many of you have ever sensed, felt the presence of God? Do you enjoy sensing the presence of God. I'm going to be preaching a little bit on this this Sunday. And, uh, um, and uh, I've been in the presence of God and I wish, like you've been in services or whatever, you just kind of want to stay there. There's no hurry to get out of there. All right? And, and it's wonderful. Well, the time is coming when we will always, always, always be in his presence. No leaving. 
No, well, it's about noon, time to get home, or it's time to beat the Baptist to the restaurant. You know, um, let's put it this way. There'll be no goodbyes in the New Jerusalem. Isn't that cool? All right. Um, the New Jerusalem is the mansion of God. Jesus referred to it as my father's house in John 14, 2. Uh, God built a big house for a purpose. And that purpose is that God wants all his children to come home and live with him. Think about what I just said. God wants all his children to come home and live with him. Remember the old song, Come Home at Supper Time? We're going home at last. All right? Wow. Um, overcomers will inherit God's house. It is wonderful to experience all that. All right? Basically, another thing is you know a person better after you have stayed with them in their home. The New Jerusalem is God's home. We're going to get to know Him better and better. And the best part, verse 4, and I can't comprehend this, but we will even see His face. Now the Bible says no one will see His face and live. Thus we need new bodies to see His face because it says we're going to see His face. Yeah, I, I just like... <laughs> It's like, wow, wow, wow. It's going to be awesome. It's, it's going to be the kindest face we've ever seen. I know God is spirit, but if it says we're going to see his face, we're going to see his face. All right? And he will hold out his arms for each child to come. Now, what do you imagine the face of God will be like? Have you ever thought about that? What do you imagine the face of God to be like merciful peaceful loving <laughs> biggest grin you ever saw yes yeah yeah I like that I'm not sure I mean it's it's it still boggles my mind um, reading a couple of verses here in ver, uh, 20, 21 verse 22 I did not see a temple in this city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. It says in 21 verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. It says in Revelation 22 and 3 and 4, The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. As Paul said, it is far, better by far to be with Christ. It's a place of perfect, unbroken fellowship. It's, it's the culmination of everything that we've been taught, lived for, died for, whatever. We're going to see him. We're going to see his face. It'll be wonderful, wonderful fellowship. And then number six, the, the final point there is, it's a city to which all are invited. One of God's favorite words is the word come. And we see this in Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Jesus said in Matthew 4.19, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy and heavy laden or burdened, and I will give you rest. We have in Luke nineteen verse five, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. You know, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And then Revelation twenty two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. You know, people today are still being invited to come to Christ. You know, come to Christ. Make sure uh, that you're calling an election or sure. You know, come, come to the Lord. But there's coming a day when it's going to be too late to come to Christ. He's still on a throne of grace, still on a throne of mercy. And the invitation is still to whosoever may they come. But there's coming a day when it's going to be too late. In Revelation 22, 10 and 11, and then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let, then it says this, and it threw me off a little bit. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Well, wouldn't you want to say to him, you know, repent, get right with God. But it says, let him continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. And let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Now, uh, I was studying this and just wanted to bring a little bit of, of clarification to that. Um, the message of the book of Revelation, as we know, is not to be sealed. Its prophecies are to be proclaimed. And hopefully when people say, hey, wait a minute, God's, you know, the, the final things are coming to, to about here. Um, people need to hear that today. They need, they need to come and repent and get right with God. We have it in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to, to increase knowledge. Well, let me ask you, uh, has, has, has travel increased with people over the years? When I was a kid, we, we, didn't, we didn't take it to go in the airplane. We didn't travel. We didn't fly. My first flight, I want to say, was when I was in Bible college, actually. I think that's true. When I was in Bible college, going then to Brazil. And, and, and me just going to Miami was a culture shock. Miami airport. It was like, I'm in a different country here. All these people and nationalities and nations represented. And then to Paraguay, then to Brazil. And I know you've traveled, and you guys have been all over the place, and you guys have been overseas as well. And some of you, Pastor Jim, you're heading out Saturday for, for a beautiful two-week UK trip. And so I um, just need to fit, get a piece of luggage I can fit into. But uh, um, we, have, we have all that. And so, yeah, travel has increased. Has knowledge increased? I mean, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back. It's 2023. Let's go back... Uh, 30 years into 1993. How many of you had internet in 1993? We didn't. It was like 97, I think it was. It was mid to late 90s. When I got my first computer, Jill's working in the bank, and, and she goes, don't open it up until I get home. Well, I couldn't wait. I opened it up, and I, I screwed it up like you wouldn't believe, not knowing anything about this, trying to figure out, you know, got a Dell computer, what, do this, you know, it was all labeled and stuff. I got it messed up big time. And uh, she knew enough about it to unmess it. I think we still had to call them to figure out what I did wrong. And I'm still, I'm still messing computers up. 
I need your help, by the way, on the Facebook thing. All right. And uh, anyway, so knowledge has increased. But think how simple life was 30 years ago. Look how, with the increase of knowledge, how we've complicated things. You know, now we have people staring at these things. You know, myself included, you know. And I'm not, I'm not against knowledge. I'm not against, you know, all that stuff. But I'm just saying things have happened and knowledge has increased, all right? And, and we see that happen. So many will go here and there and to increase knowledge. Uh, and so why was it then so important that John not fail to reveal the contents then of this prophecy? Daniel's told, seal it up. John's like, don't seal this up because things are going to happen very, very soon. And so, basically, John was told what he was told because the Lord's return was imminent. And uh, the angel repeated the warning of Christ in 22.7 that, that, that he was coming quickly, but, but also sharpened it somewhat by saying, the time is at hand. It's almost as if he was saying the return of Christ could happen at any moment. This could happen at any time. And so uh, it could happen real quick like. Now, so in view of the Lord's soon coming, the angel gave a warning which indicates that the time will come when it's going to be too late for those people to be saved. And that brings into then verse 11, you know, let the person who does wrong continue to do wrong. In other words, it's going to ha- the coming of Christ is going to happen, boom. And then for those that missed it, you're going to continue on in your sin. And, and paying the penalty for missing what God had for you. So, oops. And so the call to repentance and faith and obedience is still going out today. It's still, it's still the day of salvation. Uh, there's still an opportunity for people to call upon God even today to be saved and, and to be changed. But the day will come when the line will be drawn and the destinies determined. And so in a sense, however, people really do determine their destinies by their own choices. Therefore, he that is unjust is literally the wrongdoer and includes all who do what is contrary to, to doing what is right in God's sight. So by disregarding the teachings and warnings of God's word and by repeated wrong choices, the sinner becomes hardened in a pattern of doing what God says is wrong. That helps explain then, let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. This even includes the moral person who persecutes, despises, or just ignores uh, the believers in Christ. The filthy person is the one whose habits and speech patterns are foul and unclean. It also includes those who have an extreme greed for wealth. Uh, Such a person has no concern over purity and decency and becomes hardened in rejection of the Bible's exhortation to holiness and righteousness. In other words, those who reject the message of the book of Revelation will continue in their sins. And when Jesus Christ comes, it will literally be too late for them. On the other hand, the book is a great incentive for believers to continue in righteousness, in holiness, looking for Christ to return. Let him who does right continue to do right, and let him who is holy continue to be holy. The person who is holy in dedicated worship and service to God develops habits that are pleasing to God. 
In other words, let him who is holy continue in that. In other words, continue in your dedication, in your devotion to God. We've, you've heard me say, and we've sang the song over and over again, you know, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. You know, that's, that's what's going on here, kind of. You know, and, and, and the righteous person is just honest and good because he's been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Uh, he's cooperating with the Spirit in obedience and faith. And so my admonition to you would be continue to live for God, continue to be holy, continue to do what is right in His eyes because His coming is very, very soon. Um, I, was, I was researching and just kind of studying today a little bit about for next week and looking at uh, one of God's other favorite words is the word suddenly. You know, the suddenlies of God. And, and that's going to come into play in last day events as well. But uh, understand verse 11 in, in context of verse 12, where verse 12 says, uh, Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. When Jesus comes, his reward will be with him. And also, in, in, in light of verse 11, it'll be too late then for anyone to change. Thus, that helped me, I think, to understand verse 11 a little bit, because I was like, well, what, wouldn't you call them to repentance or something? But uh, no, basically there will be no second chance if this life is spent making choices that are contrary to God's word and God's will. Um, in verse 12, this is the fifth time in the book of Revelation that Jesus indicates that his coming will be soon. If, if Jesus says something one time, we better listen to it. Two times, it's important. Three times, it's really important. Four times, five times, it's really, really, really important, all right? And so uh, if Jesus indicates five times in this book, chapter 2, verse 5, 16, 3, 11, 22, 7, if he indicates all these times that he's coming soon, I can guarantee you, based on what he said, he's coming soon. And so be weary of those that say the return of Christ is not imminent, could not happen at any moment. As before, I come quickly may refer to the sense of imminence that God wants believers to have throughout the church age. It may also refer, though, to the suddenness and rapidity of the events that will take place at the time of His coming. When, when, when He comes, when, when He says, okay, it's time, things are going to happen very quickly very suddenly. So the, the idea of imminence, of suddenness, of rapidity of the events is also uh, given in this chapter, in chapter 22, when verse 12 as well. Um, and, and, and with that, um, always keep this in mind, and I've said this from the get-go as well, but it has been the last days ever since the inauguration of the age of the Holy Spirit. You know, Pentecost, where we have Pentecost Sunday, not this Sunday, but the next Sunday, the 28th of May. And uh, we've been living in the last days because in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit. Well, that's already, that was accomplished on Pentecost. So we've been living in the last days since Pentecost, really since the times of Christ. And so that being true, how much closer are we today than when he spoke these words? 
By the way, just one of the questions, when was this book written? How many years after the ascension of Christ? Come on, Revelation scholars. Around 60 years. About 60 years. All right. And so this is about 60 years after his ascension. All right. And he says it over and over again. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Uh, and uh, he is coming soon. And it could happen at any moment. How do you think our lives, or how, how do you think a Christian's life would be different knowing of the imminent return of Christ? How should a Christian's life be different knowing the imminent return of Christ? Anyone? We, we should live ready. I mean, living for Him, always being ready. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's true. And so, really, the next great event on God's prophetic program is Christ's return to catch away His bride, the rapture. When He comes, His reward will be with Him. Now, we will be judged. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And we're not going to be judged on our salvation, per se, but we will be judged on what we did with our life. All right, we will be given rewards and whatever. Uh, you don't want to find yourself at the great white throne judgment, the judgment of the condemned of sinners. All right, but the judgment will be based not on the amount of works, but on the spirit motivation and the love, you know, not just what we did, but why we did it. What was the motivation behind those things? And so that all is going to play into it too. And so it is a city in which all are invited uh, I had one more thing here. Yeah, it's uh, Revelation twenty-two seventeen contains four invitations. Each person must choose between two words from God. The words are come or depart. Come or depart. And I, I trust that you will uh, adhere to the word come and not hear the word depart. Now, that wraps up chapter 22. There's a few questions. I have about four minutes left, and I'm just going to go through this. Um, number six. Actually, it's number one in your outline. Discussion questions. What are the implications for us that this present earth will pass away? What are the implications knowing that this is all going to pass away? This present earth, everything in it. Don't hang on to anything. Is it wrong to build homes? No. Got to live somewhere. But don't put your faith in that. It's all going to burn someday. Don't put your faith in buildings. It's all going to be gone someday. They're just tools. They're just tools. And so I think the implications should be for us basically is like, Okay, how much time, energy do we, do we make for our lives down here versus preparing for eternity? I, for one, am guilty. Um, and God helped me to be more heavenly-minded than earthly-minded. But, but it's like, this is all going to burn. It really, none of this really matters. The only thing we can take to heaven with us is souls. So that really, the implications tell me then we ought to be about his work 
populating the 20 billion, you know, that, that might be up there, you know, that he's making room for or whatever. But just to say, God, help me to be effective for you. Help me to reach souls for the kingdom to do what I can. Because everything else, I mean, I, I think of those who are rich in this life and the mansions and the homes they've built. And, and, and they're beautiful. I'm not saying they're not. I mean, they're, they're multi-million dollar homes, the oceanfront homes, mountain home, I mean, mountain homes or whatever it might be, you know, the million, billion dollar cabins. I mean, I've, I've watched shows and, you know, everything else. And, and if you've watched, what's the one on HGTV? Um, what's the shows where you like look at different houses and you buy a certain house? HGTV. Anyone? No one? You, you don't, don't give me that. You watch these shows. But anyway, but, but, but what always, what always amazed me that, that these, these young people want to buy a house that it took mom and dad or grandpa and grandma all their lives to get kind of thing. And they want everything now and they want to, they'll buy this property and they'll spend money and money. We just buy, I have a neighbor and, and don't listen to this neighbor if you're on, <laughs> online, but they just bought this house across from us from California. I've met him once. I've met his family. And uh, ever since, they've been there about six months, but it's been project after project. And I'm going, all the shingles have, all the tiles have come off. They put a new, new roofing down, new felt down, tiles are all back down, uh, new cement out front. They ripped all the cupboards out, put all new cupboards in, painted the whole thing, new flooring inside. Uh, they've redone their patio. They put more cement out in the, in the front. I mean, they've always been doing something. They have not stopped. I'm going, they have spent... I mean, literally thousands of dollars. I'm guessing probably upwards of 100000 or more just by all the things they've done. And they're not doing it themselves. They're hiring contractors. All right. God bless you. If you got it, no problem with that. But uh, um, it's all going to burn. And, uh, and so what are the implications? Maybe be content with what we got and, uh, and plan more for eternity or what. But uh, it's, it's, like, it's, it's a reality check, I think, for all of us. To say, you know something, what God has prepared for us is so, so much greater than anything and everything this world has to offer. Don't set your heart on the things of this earth. It's all going to pass away. And God's going to make, as his word says, he's going to make everything new. All right? Next week, I'm going to answer one question. If you have a question, give it to me tonight because next week is too late. I have to have a little time to prepare and study and research. Not that I'll have the answer, but the question was asked, basically, does anyone die during the millennium? Does anyone die during the millennial reign, which is chapter 19 of Christ, for that thousand-year time? And, uh, uh, and, and if we don't, how old will we live to be, or how old will people live to be? It's kind of interesting. I'll, I'll give, I have some answers for that. And Isaiah answers it too, if you want to dig a little deeper for, for that. But uh, uh, if you have questions, turn them in, and it's time to close tonight. God bless you. Thank you for being here. And so if you have a pink sheet, fill it, fill it out, give it to me. Other than that, you're dismissed. Have a great week in the Lord. Next week, we'll wrap everything up. Last week. God bless you.